0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP, a series in which we discuss developments that have caught our attention in the world of intellectual property and attempt to unravel what's really going on. I'm Emma
1: Isles. And I'm Rebecca Gay. This episode we're coming full circle and returning to an issue we first discussed in May last year when we launched this podcast and that's the issue of COVID-19 vaccines, IP rights and access to medicines. So as the world continues to struggle with the pandemic, it's probably unsurprising that this topic remains a hot one. And it's also a bit like the pandemic itself, which is unresolved. But since we released the original episode on this topic, there have been some developments which we thought were worth discussing. So Emma, where did we leave our listeners in that very first episode? Well,
0: quickly to do a recap. In October 2020, certain country members of the World Trade Organization, or WTO, have proposed a waiver of specific provisions of TRIPS, that's the Agreement on Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Rights, which sets out the minimum IP protections that WTO members must implement. Relevantly, the TRIPS agreement requires WTO members to provide patent protections for medical inventions, like COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. The proposal, which initially came from India and South Africa, was that patent rights covering COVID vaccines would be waived with a view to facilitating widespread distribution of the vaccines, particularly to middle and low income countries. And you might remember when we chatted about this last year, for all those devoted listeners out there, we made the observation we're not just talking about one patent that covers each vaccine. There are multiple patents, some of them dating back many years, that cover various aspects of the technology that goes into the different vaccines. And when we discussed this last year, lots of WTO members, particularly those from higher income countries, were opposed to the TRIPS waiver. Is that still the case, Rebecca?
1: Yes, there are still members who oppose it, but now not as many. Probably the most surprising development is that just after we recorded our podcast in June 2021, the US, who are usually a real stickler for strict enforcement of IP rights, did an about face and announced its support for a waiver. And perhaps not surprisingly, Australia has now followed the US lead. But we still have the EU, UK and Japan opposing the waiver With the EU saying that there is no concrete indication that IP rights have been a genuine barrier to accessing COVID-19 related vaccines in medicines. Instead, the EU says they're just one of the things that might affect the manufacture and distribution of medicines. So because of that, negotiations are still taking place. And the question of the TRIPS waiver remains a very live issue. Yes, it does.
0: And As an alternative to the waiver, the EU has come up with another proposal. Instead of the waiver, the EU has suggested that countries could use compulsory licensing provisions and other flexibilities that are already built into TRIPS. Under TRIPS, Member States can provide for a mechanism which allows a government or third party to compulsory acquire a license to a patented invention if the patent owner has refused to license the invention on reasonable commercial terms and conditions. These licences are intended to provide a mechanism for facilitating use of a patented invention without needing the authority of the patent owner. However, in reality, taking the benefit of these provisions tends to take time because of the need to first negotiate with the patent owner, and they typically require quite
1: special circumstances. Yeah, that's right, Emma. Um, To take Australia as an example if you want to get a compulsory licence, then first, the person seeking the licence has to have tried without success to get authorization from the patent owner to work the invention. Second, it's necessary to show that the reasonable requirements of the public are not being met with respect to the invention. And there's some debate as to what that actually means. And third, that the patentee has not given a satisfactory reason for failing to exploit or use the invention in Australia. That's quite complicated and perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, no compulsory licence has ever actually been granted in Australia through the Australian courts.
0: Uh, And it may be why the EU requirement goes a step further by pointing to a provision in TRIPS that's mirrored in Australian legislation, which says that in situations of a national emergency, there's no need for prior negotiation with the rights holder. Under the EU proposal, WTO members would expressly acknowledge that the pandemic is a national emergency to give certainty that negotiation with patent owners is not required. Unlike a waiver, however, licences would have to be considered on a product by product and patent by patent basis, and patent owners would have the right to be paid reasonable compensation for the licence. Patent owners also have the right to appeal any decision granting a compulsory licence. And these are all important distinctions from the patent
1: waiver proposal put forward by India and South Africa. They really are. Um, But the WTO has not adopted the EU proposal either. So there's still a lot of uncertainty about where things will actually end up. And of course, in the meantime, there's a real need for vaccines and treatments to be distributed now to low and middle income countries. So what we have also seen over the recent months is a focus on practical ways to ensure equitable access to vaccines and medicines. I saw on the um, WTO website at earlier today actually that they had hosted an online workshop a week or so ago which was attended by over 250 representatives from WTO members and observers and it was focused on a discussion around practical aspects of covid 19 vaccine R&D, manufacturing and distribution. And Emma, we've spoken previously about the COVAX initiative, which is also designed to facilitate access to COVID vaccines and treatments in a practical way. How has that been faring? Well, we have spoken about that before. And by way of
0: a reminder, um, the COVAX initiative was formed by the World Health Organisation with Gavi and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. As of mid-January 2022, COVAX has shipped over 1 billion COVID-19 vaccines to 144 participating countries. That's a significant number of vaccines, but it's well below COVAX's target of delivering 2 billion vaccines by the end of 2021. Rebecca, do you have any thoughts on why it hasn't hit that target?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, I think at least one is that during the second wave of the Delta variant, um, some Countries, notably India, placed a ban on vaccine exportation. And that was particularly problematic given India is one of the world's biggest producers of generic medicines, and COVAX was relying on India to produce a lot of the vaccines that it was planning to distribute. But the ban, of course, meant that those exports could not be delivered uh, as expected in the first half of 2021. India, of course, wasn't the only one that put in place export restrictions. We also saw those happening in the European Union, for example. And then separately, COVAX has also cited vaccine hoarding by wealthier nations as a reason for the problems in distributing vaccines. Many countries, including Australia, are now rolling out booster shots for their adult populations. And at the same time, only about 10.6% of people in low-income countries have even received a first dose. And it's not just
0: about delivering vaccines to those countries. Once the vaccines get delivered, they have to be stored and transported under particular conditions. And many low income countries have struggled to do that. So we've seen instances of vaccine doses going unused. And there can also be cultural barriers in many countries which have led to slower uptakes of vaccines. Rebecca, what other initiatives have you seen uh, existing to bridge the gap in vaccination rates between high and low income countries?
1: Well, another one uh, is the COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, or CTAP, which was launched um, by the World Health Organization in May 2020. And the aim of CTAP is to facilitate the sharing of IP knowledge knowledge and data between vaccine developers and manufacturers through non-exclusive voluntary licensing programs Uh, that platform operates through a number of implementing partners which includes the Medicines Patent Pool, the Open COVID Pledge and the Tech Access Partnership who work with pharmaceutical companies uh, to help them share their IP knowledge and data through those voluntary licensing arrangements to other manufacturers. And one example of that
0: in action is pharmaceutical company Merck, who's developed an antiviral treatment effective against COVID-19. And I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, it's called Molnupiravir. I think that might be how you pronounce it. It's worth a try. I'm glad you had to try, not me. (laughs) (laughs) In October 2021, Merck signed a voluntary licensing agreement with the Medicines Patent Pool, uh, which allows the pool to sub-license the drug to 105 low- and middle-income countries And since then, the patents pool has licensed 27 generic manufacturers to produce the drug. Merck won't receive royalties for sales, while the World Health Organization still classifies COVID-19 as a public health emergency of international concern. But once the WHO declares the public health emergency to be over, Merck will start receiving some royalties.
1: That's a very interesting example. And, And I know Pfizer have also entered into a similar agreement with the MPP through CTAP. For its COVID-19 treatment called Paxlovid, um, and they did that um, in quite recently in November 2021. And then the other thing we've seen uh, is pharmaceutical companies taking essentially independent steps to facilitate access to vaccines and treatments. Uh, isn't that right, Emma?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, there's two interesting things to note here.
0: One is that a number of pharmaceutical companies have donated doses or made them available at cost. Pfizer, for example, provided the US administration with 1 billion doses of their COVID-19 vaccines on a not-for-profit basis to be distributed to low-income countries. 500 million doses were committed in June 2021 and 500 million more in September. And the second really interesting thing is the level of cooperation between pharmaceutical companies who are ultimately competitors. We've seen Merck making vaccines for Johnson & Johnson. Sanofi has been helping BioNTech by filling and packing millions of doses of its vaccine. And AstraZeneca has entered into manufacturing contracts with 25 firms in 15 countries. So it really is proving to be a joint effort by the pharmaceutical industry then? It really is, and an effort that's focused on pragmatic ways of getting vaccines out there as quickly as possible, and certainly more quickly than the negotiations within the WTO seem to be moving. Well, we'll continue to
1: keep an eye on how they do or don't move, as the case may be. Uh, And no doubt we'll be talking about this topic again at some stage in the not too distant future. No
0: doubt. Thanks everyone for listening, and until next time.
1: You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.